As a new Christian, the first church that I tried to attend was a small non-denominational church called Believer's Chapel in Dallas, Texas, where I lived. It was taught by the professors of Dallas Theological Seminary. They were the pastors at that church. Jesus said we must worship God in spirit and in truth. If something is taught at your church that's opposite from the Bible, can you really go along with it? Can you stay at that church? I don't think so. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, correction, doctrine, instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How can you stay at a church where they do something opposite to the Bible or speak something opposite to the Bible? I just don't see how you can do that and be justified in the day of judgment. For we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ by the word of God, by what the Bible says, by how we line up with the Bible in our lives. At Believer's Chapel, when I first started going there, the pastor, who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, was teaching that tongues are of the devil. I didn't know what a tongue was. I went to his seminar, and I don't remember anything much from the days of the seminar, except that he was teaching that tongues are of the devil. One day I was reading the Bible, and I came across a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says, Forbid not to speak with tongues in the church. Well, certainly they were forbidding to speak with tongues, and they were teaching it was of the devil. I had to make a choice. Do I continue going to that church or do I leave that church? Well, I wasn't going to stay at a church where the pastor, even if he was a professor at a seminary, where he was teaching something opposite to what I was reading in the Bible. I told my best friend what had happened. She also attended that church. In fact, I went to that church because she and her husband attended that church. That's the way most of us are. We go to a church where our friends or family attend that church. I had followed her to that church. Well, I wasn't going to stay there after I saw that in the Bible. We were driving down the road when I said, oh, by the way, Donna, I read something in the Bible, and it said, forbid not to speak with tongues. And she said, she pulled the car off the road, and she said, where did you see that? Well, I had a little tiny purse-sized Bible in my purse, and I pulled it out and showed it to her, and she said, it does say that. And I said, well, I'm not going back to that church because they are teaching that tongues are of the devil. And Paul said, forbid not to speak with tongues in the church. We went to her house. She had several translations of the Bible at her house. 
We looked in each translation of the Bible, and every one of them said, Forbid not to speak with tongues at church. Donna said, Well, I'm not going back to that church either, and she left it. I followed another friend to a place called um, Beverly Hills Baptist Church. It was in Dallas, out in Oak Cliff. It met at a bowling alley. They had about 3,000 people attending that church. I can't remember exactly why I left that church. Well, I think my friend left and went to Word of Faith, and I followed her to Word of Faith. That's what happened. Because usually we're following either friends or family to these churches, and we're not really usually judging what's going on by the Bible. Is, are they really teaching what the Bible says? Or are they doing the opposite? Let's talk about your church for a minute. Are they teaching what the Bible says? For example, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 32, Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Is that what they're teaching at your church? Or are you seeing wedding ceremonies being performed at your church with the pastor conducting the ceremony where the woman has been divorced? In Matthew 5.32, Jesus was speaking of a faithful wife. And he said to the men, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Is that what they're teaching? Are they teaching that if a man divorces a faithful wife and she remarries, she will commit adultery? Well, that's what this is saying. Another scripture, and Paul said this is a commandment of the Lord, and he's speaking to the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 7, 10, 11. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled unto her husband. Is that what they're teaching at the church you attend? I've been to a great many singles classes at churches and I have never heard this taught, any of these things. And the singles classes are primarily an area where women go to meet men that they hope to marry. And a great many of these singles classes are filled with divorced women who are trying to meet men. These things are just not taught at the churches that I've ever attended. I've never attended a church where they taught this. Apparently at one time they were taught at the church because my best friend Donna remarried a man whose wife had died. He had three children and he was wanting to remarry. There were two women at the church they attended that he was considering. One was Donna, my best friend, and the other 
another woman who had not been married. He didn't know Donna had ever been married. She kept it a secret. He decided on Donna. And then she told him she was divorced and had married a young man in Italy when she was a Fulbright scholar in Italy. But by that time, he was in love with Donna, and he married her. I asked him, I said, would you have dated Donna if you had known she was divorced? He thought about it, and he said, no, I don't think I would. And he said, no, if, if I had known she was divorced, I don't think I would have ever dated her. Well, he did date her. Then she told him she had been divorced, but by then he was already too involved with her, and they married at the church. Another woman, this one I was in our church group, she was just furious because before she was born again, she divorced and wanted to remarry. She was raised Baptist, and apparently at some point in time the Baptist church taught this. Because she'd heard this, and she questioned whether or not she could remarry after being divorced, even though she wasn't born again. So she took her fiancé and went to a pastor and asked him. Now, I don't know what kind of pastor this was, whether it was a Baptist pastor or Methodist or what kind of pastor. But she asked him if she, as a divorced woman, could remarry. And he replied, well, my sister remarried. I don't see any reason why you couldn't. She was just furious with this pastor because she did remarry. And then she read the scriptures and saw that by remarrying, she committed adultery. And she told me this story with a lot of anger about concerning his pastor. Yes, the pastor should have known. Yes, he was wrong in telling her this. The Holy Spirit said to me, well, wasn't she already having sex with Edward when she went to the pastor? So I said to her, weren't you and Edward already having sex at the time you went to the pastor to ask him if you could remarry? She grew very silent, and then she said, yes. Well, it makes the whole point moot, doesn't it? Throws everything out. She has no real reason to be angry with that pastor when she was committing fornication at the time she went to the pastor to see if she could remarry. Many times in looking for a church to attend, I have heard pastors add terrible things to the Bible and causing lust in their own congregations. One pastor at a non-denominational church was speaking of the woman taken in adultery, which is recorded for us in John chapter 8. And he said, when this woman was brought before Jesus, she was naked from the waist up. I was just shocked and horrified, for I know John 8, and I knew that wasn't true. Do you know the Bible? Do you know when your pastors aren't saying truth? It's not that we're looking for them to lie or we're investigating them. 
We're just sitting there. And if you know Bible, you know truth and you know things that aren't true. Well, I knew this was not in John 8, that this pastor had made this up. I looked around the congregation when he said this. I reached for my Bible immediately to reread John 8. There was not anyone else in the congregation that I saw reaching for a Bible. The men who were sitting there had big smiles on their face. I felt surely, surely they were picturing this woman being naked from the waist up. The next day I called this pastor and I said to him, I was in your meeting last night. I'm looking for a church to attend. I was in your meeting when you spoke about the woman being taken in adultery. Where does it say in the Bible she was naked from the waist up, as you said? He got very silent and he said, I just can't remember where that is in the Bible. I said to him, well, it's very important for me to know this, so would you please look it up and tell your secretary and have her call me and tell me where it is in the Bible? Dead silence. Then he screamed out at me, all right, it's not in the Bible. Where do you go to church? The point was I was trying to find one to go to but I can't go to one where the pastor adds things to the Bible according to his own will. There was a man in that church group that had done some concrete work for me at my house. I called him and told him what had happened. He was there at that meeting. He was one of the ones with the big smile on his face. Turned out he's an elder at that church. And when I told him this, he was shocked. A few weeks later, I was at an Assembly of God church, still trying to find a church that I could attend, when this same man appeared in the congregation. After the service, uh, he came to me and we talked. He said, uh, I'm no longer attending that church, that non-denominational church. He said, the pastor wanted to hire a homosexual to be choir director, and so he left that church because of that. But he didn't leave because the pastor perverted the word of God. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 told us that after he departed, after his lifetime, he knew there were men that would rise up and speak perverse things in the church to draw away disciples unto themselves. That's in Acts 20. Paul was speaking to the elders of the church, and he said, I know among some of you that you will rise up to speak perverse things, to draw away disciples after yourselves. I think that's verses 29-30. Those were the elders he was speaking to. After the lifetime of Paul and John, uh, these Antichrists began setting up their own churches and moving into their own churches, just as Paul said would happen. Where do you think all these denominations came from? Look at the Catholic Church, if you can stand it. 
It is so perverted. Calling men father, when Jesus said, call no man your father, Matthew 23. Wearing long robes and delighting in those long robes. Look at Matthew 23 on that subject. Jesus said they love to wear long robes. They love to sit at the chief places. They love to be called rabbi and father. He said, call no man rabbi, for one is your master. Call no man father, for one is your father, even God. And yet they do this. They light candles, which is not in the Bible. They do all kinds of things, fleshly things, to try to increase the faith of the congregation in God. You don't increase faith by secular things. You increase faith by spiritual things. Then in the Protestant churches, they call their ministers reverend. There's all types of evil. There's only one reference to the word reverend in the Bible, and it says, holy and reverend is his name, is God's name. I think that's Psalm 111. Holy and reverend is his name. And yet they call their ministers reverend, and people call them reverend. And they set them on pedestals and make them as gods. Idols in the churches. That's evil. Then there's the Church of Christ, who will not call their pastor pastor for some strange reason. Jesus said, after he arose, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I was in a church of Christ one time, attended a little group, uh, a Sunday school class. We were free to speak in that class. Pastor was teaching it. And I said, kept saying to him, and pastor, what such and such? And he finally stopped me and said, I'm not called pastor. And I said, you're not? What are you called? And he said, I'm called minister. Then I remembered from long ago, their doctrine was you should call no one pastor. That is not in the Bible. You're supposed to call, if they're a pastor, you're supposed to call them pastor. Ephesians 4, Jesus gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry for edifying the body of Christ. Here we have one group calling them their ministers reverend, which is wrong. We have another group who will not call their pastors pastors, which is wrong. So how can you go to these places? When they don't do the Bible, I can't. I just can't do it. I have never in my life gone to a church looking for wrongdoing. If I think there's going to be wrongdoing, then I just don't go. So I've gone to church because I wanted to gather with the church. I went to a little non-denominational church in Clovis, New Mexico, where I lived, where my mother is. That's in the United States. I went to a little non-denominational church, and pastor was teaching the Sunday school class. And as he was teaching, he was talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Hagar, her handmaiden. And pastor said, Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. I've never read that before. 
I've read about Sarah and Hagar many times, but I had never read that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was wrong, I was thinking. Maybe maybe it's in there and I missed it. So I went back and read those scriptures in Genesis. It's not in there. Well, maybe it's in some other scripture which I've somehow overlooked, although I've read the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, many times. But I called the pastor, and with a good heart, to give him a chance to tell me where that is in the Bible. So I asked him, and he said, I can't remember where it is. Just like the first example I gave of the pastor who said the woman taken in adultery was naked from the waist up. Exactly the same words. He said, I can't remember where it is in the Bible. And I said to him the same thing I said to the first pastor. It's very important to me to know this. I can't find it in the Bible. Would you please look it up, tell your secretary where it is, and call me and tell me. He became very angry with me, and he said, All right, it's not in the Bible. With both pastors, there was no sorrow for adding things to the Bible that were wrong. There was no repentance. There was no shame. What is going on? I would be horrified had I done that. Yet they showed no shame. What is this? It's Antichrist. Antichrist in the churches. I didn't know it for about 10, 15 years. But then God one day said the word restraint to me. And I remembered that that's in the NASB when it talks about Antichrist. In the NASB, it says the apostasy will come into the churches. And it talks about Antichrist. And in the NASB, it used the word restraint, and it was as soon as the restraint was removed, Antichrist would come into the churches. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, NASB, it says, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. And I sat there saying to God, what restrains him? And I heard the scriptures restrained him. As soon as the churches removed the scriptures, Antichrist was free to come in and take over and set up other doctrines. And that's what we're seeing in today's churches. Verse 7 of the NASB, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work says Paul, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The he who restrained was Jesus the Word. As soon as they removed the Word and set up another doctrine, they set up another Jesus inside the church. As soon as Jesus was removed, As soon as the word was removed, 
the restraint against Antichrist was removed. Reading verse 6 once again, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed, Antichrist will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then will that lawless one be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. This Antichrist in the churches will continue until the coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus, he will remove the Antichrist. In the meantime, what do we do? Well, we don't go to churches when they do things opposite to the Bible or when they teach things opposite to the Bible. We don't go to those churches. We have to leave them. That's what we do. We can't go there. If you do try to stay there, you will lose a full reward in heaven. Second John, you read this. Look at Second John carefully. Start at verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. If you sit there among them, approving them in things which are opposite to Bible, you're partaker of their evil deeds. You will lose your full reward in heaven. Or even your salvation. You think you can't lose your salvation? You better look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, for Jesus tells us that we could lose our salvation. Revelation 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to the church at Sardis. And Jesus says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's to the church that overcomes. We overcome by clinging to the scriptures and upholding the scriptures. When a church is teaching something totally opposite from the scripture and we sit there among them, it is a sign of our approval. We can't do it. We overcome by fleeing such a church. My favorite aunt attended Church of Christ all her life. Before she died, she told me, I know things at the church are wrong. At that time, I didn't know what I know now about Antichrist in the churches, so I couldn't speak it to her. 
But she told me she knew things were wrong, and she stayed there at that Church of Christ. After she died, God gave me a dream about my aunt. I've had more than one dream about her. In one dream, though, I went into this room, and it had a row of baby bassinets along the wall. I went to the row of bassinets to look at the babies. I looked into the first bassinet, and I was so shocked because the baby was horribly deformed. I went to the next bassinet, and the baby was terribly deformed. Every baby in that row was deformed. At the end of the row stood my favorite aunt. She was probably about 45 years old, fully grown, but on her face were horrible, horrible spots and blemishes. I will interpret that dream. That row of babies were people in churches who had been deformed by doctrines, and they never grew up in the Lord. They never matured, and they were as deformed babies, very deformed by their doctrine, polluted, deformed. My aunt grew up. She, she'd even been taken into heaven once. And she told me about it. She said it was all golden. She had had real experiences with God. But she stayed in that church group where they were teaching things that were not correct. And she knew it. At least toward the end she knew it. Because she told me she knew it. But she stayed there. Though she was a mature woman, there were big spots and blemishes on her face. Now, later, I had another dream about her, and in this dream, I went into this auditorium filled with people. There was a concert band on the stage getting ready to give a performance. My mother and my aunt were sitting in the middle of the congregation. I went up on stage, and they told me, they said, this has been saved for you. It was first chair, first clarinet which is the highest position you can have in a concert band. You're the concert master of the band. And I said to them, oh, oh no, put me in the back somewhere because I'm just not able to perform at this level on clarinet. They said, no, this is your place. This is saved for you. Then I knew it was a dream showing rewards in heaven. Now, my mother and my aunt were sort of in the middle of the auditorium. I believe they will both be saved, but suffer loss. You can lose reward in heaven. You can lose your salvation completely. Have your name blotted out of the book of life unless you overcome. These are serious things to think of. But you can't sit in a church group where they are teaching something opposite to the Bible. You can't sit in a church group where a pastor is performing marriage ceremonies where the woman is divorced and the man is marrying a divorced woman for that is adultery. There are many perversions concerning women. There's one 
in the church groups, I've heard, where if the husband was committing fornication, the woman could remarry. That is contrary, though, to the commandment of the Lord that is spoken in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says it's a commandment of the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or let her return to her husband. It is also contrary to Matthew 5.32, which where Jesus told the men, if you divorce a faithful wife and she remarry, she will commit adultery, but you will be the cause of her adultery. I'm paraphrasing that, but that's what it says. Matthew 5.32 So if you're sitting in a church group where they're teaching another doctrine, they're teaching another Jesus, another word. Jesus is the word. They're teaching another Jesus. You can't sit there. You will lose reward or you could lose your salvation. There is another serious doctrine which is taught in almost every Christian church in the world. They are calling the Lord's Supper the taking of crackers and grape juice. God has shown me to my satisfaction that the Lord's Supper has nothing to do with crackers and grape juice. It's partaking of the word of God. Paul said, let a man examine himself and then partake of this. We examine ourselves by partaking of the Bible, the word of God. You can't examine yourself in any way by crackers and grape juice. You examine yourself by the scriptures as you read them. You correct your way by the scriptures. The Lord's Supper is the eating and drinking of the scriptures, the word of God. John chapter 6. We'll close with John chapter 6. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Each believer has the spirit of Jesus living in him to show him right from wrong. In John chapter 6, now at that time they didn't have the Holy Spirit when they were talking to Jesus because the Holy Spirit was not given to all believers until after the crucifixion and resurrection. But here they said to Jesus, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent, that you believe on him the word whom he hath sent. And when you believe on the word, you will do the word. Jesus said, The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Who is that he? The word of God. Jesus is the word. He was the Word before he ever became Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's John chapter 1. The same was in the beginning with God. And for a time he came in the flesh and in the name Jesus. And he walked on this earth for a short time. He was crucified, resurrected, we are saved through his blood. But the bread of God, the Lord's Supper, is 
the Word of God. Jesus is the Word, and the Word we receive from heaven is that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. We are given life every time we are reminded of a word or given a concept of God by the Holy Spirit. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I, the word, am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me, the word, shall never thirst. Let's see, there's a lot in John 6 about this subject. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God, which means by God. They shall all be taught by God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard from God and hath learned from the Father cometh unto me. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the word, hath everlasting life. But what if you hear the word and you live in another word? Your church group teaches something other than the Bible. See, this just doesn't make sense. You can't do it. And in verse 48, Jesus says, I, the word, am the bread of life. That word cannot be fought against. The word of the New Testament Bible. We check ourselves with that word. We check our doctrine with that word. We conform ourselves to that word, for it's the truth. And at the day of judgment, we will all appear at the judgment seat of Christ, according to Second Thessalonians 5, to receive for that which we've done on this earth, whether it be good or bad, and we are judged by one thing, the word. The word judges us. So if you're going in an opposite way to the word, you're going to suffer loss, perhaps even your whole salvation. If you are conformed to the New Testament Bible, the word, you will receive reward. The flesh and the spirit fight each other as long as we breathe. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. And they're contrary one to the other. The works of the flesh are listed in Galatians chapter 5. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, anger, 
fury, um, wrath, idolatry, witchcraft, which is living in superstitions, and many other things. You can read about that in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. The flesh never improves. You will never get better by going to church or reading the Bible unless you have the Spirit of God in you and follow what the Spirit of God shows you. But that's going to be opposite from the flesh for the Spirit of God is never going to tell you to commit adultery or never lead you into fornication or never sanction drunkenness. It's not that wine is forbidden. Drunkenness is forbidden. I don't personally drink because it doesn't agree with me. It, it just doesn't agree with my system. I don't drink. But it's not forbidden to drink. Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. A little wine. But drunkenness is the thing that's forbidden. Be not drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit, says Paul. But the works of the flesh never get better, for they're flesh. That's the sin nature of man. We overcome through the Spirit, through following the Spirit. And as many as follow the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans 8.14 So many people in churches today try to follow the rules of God without the Spirit of God. And very often, they put people into bondage this way, and they don't succeed. It's only by following the Spirit of God what God shows you at that moment in time. But what he shows you at that moment in time is not going to be against Galatians 5, which says the works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, drunkenness, envy, strife. Paul says those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't think you can live in those things of the flesh and be saved. You can't. You can't continue in the flesh and be saved. What did Jesus tell the woman taken in adultery? Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. The first coming of Jesus was to save people. The second coming of Jesus will be judgment, whereby people will be condemned or justified for that which they do, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Joan Boney speaking. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.